Okay, so uh, Oliver, we'll start with your question, which was uh, related to working with the chakra metaphor. Okay, so my question for Tom is the following. For this question, I would like to work with the chakra metaphor. To what extent is it reasonable to use our mind to alter our own chakras? For example, to open our heart chakra when we find it closed or to close other chakras which we don't want to be open. Do our chakras attune themselves properly by themselves or do we have to keep them in check and monitor them regularly once we become aware of them? Your question is based on an assumption that there are such things as chakras and I'll, I'll start there. And chakras are a tool, okay? And you can, you can use a tool or not use the tool and it really doesn't you know it isn't necessary for you to use a tool so if you if you have an idea of what the tool does okay if you work on the chakra let's say in the middle of your forehead that that will give you uh, some sort of a, a, a better understanding and enlightenment and that's a that's a kind of a spiritual center also the one above your head or you work say at the root chakra and that'll have to do with your basic instincts and drives and so on so if you, you know, are having issues with your instincts and drives, then you might want to work on the root chakra. All this is is a tool set that allows people to focus their intent on what, you know, what they would like to change or where they would like to go or what they want to do. So it's a, you could make up your own thing rather than chakras and it would work just as well, but you'd have to have an understanding of what each one, you know, if each one did, but the chakra system is a is a uh, is a tool set, and whether you use it or not depends on you whether that tool works for you. If you think breaking the various functions up into seven categories, each category having certain attributes and functions that it does, and then you you uh, focus on that particular function, and whether that was a whether you line seven balls up, you know, across, you know, a shelf and assign each ball, you know, that function and that, uh, that uh, set of capabilities or whatever as the chakras. And then instead of worrying about chakras, you could just think about that ball, you know, the ball in the, at one end was the root center and the ball at the other end represented your, your uh, higher spiritual uh, uh, self it would work just the same. So the chakras are kind of irrelevant. It's a way to help you focus your mind. They don't go on and do things without you, just like the balls wouldn't go on and do things without you. The only active ingredient here is your intent. And if you find the chakra system a useful tool set, then you can use those um, to focus your intent on becoming the way you would like to become. What you're focusing on is, is you know, I would like to get my, uh, my basic urges and drives kind of more out of the way. So you focus on that root chakra to see if you can't maybe tame it a little bit and, and make it not quite so aggressive. That's just a, you know, it's just a, a, a tool set. So Oliver, um, no, when you're, not, when you're not paying attention, your chakras don't need attention or whatever. It's your paying attention is what does the, it was, does the trick. If you're not paying attention, then it's not that these things 
you know, well, I guess they do. They just go on as they are. But it's not like they're causing mischief when you're not keeping them in order. You know, you know, except as a metaphor. Now, metaphorically, that's true. Metaphorically, those things are maybe, uh, you know, walling around in their fears and reacting uh, to, to fear and belief because you're not paying any attention to them, and that's just the way they are. So as a metaphor, yes, all that works out, and you should pay attention to all of your various you know, spiritual and, and bodily functions so that you as a whole person can grow and evolve. Uh, whether you choose the chakras metaphor to do that or not really isn't, isn't important. It's that you do it. So if you want to grow spiritually, and that means spending uh, time, or let's say you want to relate more to, to people, want to have more empathy, so you work on your heart chakra. I'm not even sure that's the right association. I, I don't know a whole lot about chakras. I've read about them, but I've forgotten most of it uh, since I don't, I don't use that uh, tool set. But anybody, let, anyway, let's say that I'm right there and that uh, the empathy would have something to do with the heart chakra. Well, focusing on increasing your connection with people and becoming more empathetic will move you in that direction. That biases your probabilities in that direction because you have an intent to move that way. And that's very effective. Um, whether you do that in the form of, of you know, chakra tools or not is really not relevant. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. It kind of reforms it maybe into, into, a, different, uh, into a different question. Yeah, sure. You actually you answered it uh, very well. Um, that, that was the part that I wanted to understand a bit better. Um, the next question then is from Greg. Um, Greg, uh, Oliver, yeah. sorry, Oliver, if I may, this is Bali. Yeah. Uh, I've had uh, one sub question, if I may, to, to the to the first one with uh, chakras. My question basically was aimed. Uh, I understand that chakras is a metaphor, is a tool, uh, and uh, whether Newton uh, can tell us your opinion about working with a tool on a two intellectual basis. Basically, I know uh, some people who have created a model for themselves and they take it, uh, well, they, they delve too much into the details. They, uh, I, I compare it to being a captain of my own ship and uh, I'm, I'm the leader. I just have to say where the ship should go and focus on the direction. Uh, whereas uh, the other the opposite way would be to focus too much on the details like how uh, the engine room is working and uh, how the things are working in the kitchen so to speak and uh, I, I wanted to ask whether this can be uh, some opportunity in your opinion Tom or whether there is a bigger risk in general to lose oneself in, in the details and uh, get sidetracked but by not important things okay uh it's <laughs> the answer is uh, all of the above uh it depends on you as an individual okay if you approach something with your intellect and most of us do that you know we want to do something so we use our intellect but you can that can be a trap You can trap yourself into intellect, so all you all all you ever accomplish is thinking about it, but never actually changing, because you're not really committed 
at the being level to make a change. You don't have a being level intent to do something. You have an intellectual intent to do something. So intent can be at both the intellectual level and the being level. As long as it's at the intellectual level, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't carry much power. It's sort of like wishing. Okay? You can wish for things. You can throw a penny in the well and then wish for something. But that doesn't really have much impact. That's the intellectual intent. It's at the wish level. Now, it may have some, some impact. You may have some value there, but it's pretty, pretty small. Uh, there's a difference between making a wish and actually putting a lot of your, of your being level energy into going somewhere, doing something, making something happen. So that's the difference. Yes, people get caught in their intellect, um, kind of spinning their wheels, so to speak, with their intellect, because that's all they know is intellect. They don't know how to do anything other than make a wish because that's how their whole life is. Their whole life is their intellect making lots of wishes and, and kind of um, running the rest of their life. And they're not familiar with who they are at the being level. They're not familiar with the deeper aspect of themselves. So when you say, you know, use your intent to, you know, um, whatever, right, to uh, get rid of your fears, then they kind of wish that their fears would go away because that's the level at which they operate in life. So anyway, you have to connect your intent at the being level. And for many people, that's a hard thing. They say, well, how do I do that? You know, and again, it's, it's this difference between acting and, and being. We can act nice, but that's different than being nice. You see, if we do things because our intellect says it's a good thing to do, therefore we should do these things, and we do them, that's not the same as if you, you are a good person and you do those good things just because that's the way you are. You see, there's a different, there's a different level of, of authenticity. So the being level is where you have to, to work from. Now, at the being level, you also have... Um, you know, an intellectual component. You also have intent. You can think, if you will, at the being level. Now this gets really confusing, right? Well, how do I tell when I'm thinking at the being level for when I'm thinking, you know, at, at the intellectual level? Well, the difference is, is that if you're thinking, if your mind is functioning in service to your fear, or let's say in service to your ego or in service to your beliefs, okay, then it's not effective. That's what we're talking about, the intellectual. That's where most of us are with our intellects most of the time. We're in, we say and do and feel the things, and our intellect works in that process where we're dealing with our ego and our fears. And that's what I mean by the intellectual level that's not really effective in changing you at the being level. But you can have cognitive awareness at the being level as well. And that's you thinking, not being motivated or not being driven by your, by your fears or your ego. That's you at the being level. So this is a very confusing point. And it's a, you know, kind of a good one for you to bring up. And a lot of people struggle with this um, idea is it, well, if the intellect level isn't good and I shut off my, my intellect, 
there's nothing left, you know? Who am I then? You know, now I'm just the point of consciousness floating in the void that has no thoughts. Okay, what can I do with that? You see, so there's this, this trap, and that's because they, they don't see themselves as existing other than as this intellectual actor who goes out and, and does things that they, uh, that they think they should be doing. Well, it's a slow process of becoming aware of yourself at the being level. Who am I? Who am I, the authentic person? That's why many of the, of the people who write books about you know, self-help and get in touch, they say what you need to do is live in the moment, you know, be in the now, just be you and be aware. Well, what they're trying to do when they tell you that is just let your intellect go away and meet yourself, you know, just be, just be you. Be aware of who you are and what you're doing and do that at a very basic, authentic level as opposed to acting, doing what you think you should be doing, thinking what you think you should be doing. And why do you think you should be doing anything in particular? Well, that's because there's an ego. And that ego, you know, doesn't want to be doing the wrong thing. You know, it's afraid of failure and other things. So it's doing what it should be. And it's a very hard lesson to learn. It's one of these things you just get with, with time. So, yes, the answer is all of the above. You can trap yourself in an intellectual, uh, uh, you know, chasing your own tail, I guess, intellectually, and think you're doing something, and then you get very disappointed that nothing happens. Well, I've been doing this, you see, and I'm not making any progress. Um, you know, my guides won't talk to me. That's because your guides don't want to interact with you on an intellectual level. They want to interact with you on a being level, and at your being level, you're not aware. You're not communicative at the being level. You're only communicative at the intellectual level. So they will work with signs or with uh, um, intuition or other such things without getting into an intellectual exchange with you. So that's kind of the first place to go. And we, we try to do that with our meditation. And that's when we let all the thoughts go in our meditation. We um, want to connect with our authentic self. That's the that's kind of the key thing in meditation is to get rid of all the chatter. And if you get rid of all the chatter, often the intellect kind of goes away with the chatter because your intellect is, is chatting. And there you're left with you. And then get to know that person, that that inner self, who you are as a as an individuated unit of consciousness, not who you are as an image or, you know, a this or a that, you know, a worker, a, you know, an engineer, a father, you know, all those things that are, that are part of your, your intellect. You define yourself as, as the role. You're more than the role. Yes, you are the role, but besides that, there's a person inside, you know, and that, uh, that person exists and, and functions at a being level as well as, as the intellectual level, you know, in their, in their various roles of what they should do and, and how they should be doing it. So it's a trap. You don't have to do that. You don't have to use the intellect very much. Once you've identified that authentic person in the middle, you can just work through that. Let the intellect go. Until you've identified that authentic person that's inside and can, and can think from that level as opposed to the intellectual level, then you need the intellect. You need that intellect in order to direct yourself to 
finding a more authentic person inside. So for the person who's an intellectual, particularly the left brain person, they need to use their intellect just to decide that, well, this meditation might be good for me. I maybe need to do this. Perhaps I want to, I need to grow myself spiritually. Now that's their intellect talking and they're, they're thinking that because they think maybe they ought to do that. Not so much that they, from the, from a deep being level, you know, are making these decisions. It's from the intellect, but that's how you have to start. And after that, maybe the, and while you're meditating, you get to know yourself. Uh, you get to see a difference between you, the authentic being at the, at the core and you, the, the image that goes out and, you know, meets and greets people and, and, and goes to work. And then eventually those two merge and you become that authentic person. Even when you're out meeting and greeting and, and being all those roles, you be that from the authentic person who you are and the, the, the intellect as a server of the ego and fear kind of disappears and you become that authentic individual. And at that point, yes, you can still think, yes, you can still, you know, do analysis, but you're doing it from the being level. It's just you interacting the way you are, not the way you, you know, you're interacting, I guess, not, not uh, acting. It's, it's, it's who you really are. That's a difficult journey to take, and that's, that should be one of the, our main goals, is to develop this sense of, of being level, who we are, and being able to work from that place. Okay? When you can work from that place, then your need for tools becomes less and less and less. The tools tend to trick the intellect into um, focusing, you know, focusing you. So you need, you know, most people need both. They need to work at both ends because we, our culture kind of forces us to be left brain in a lot of ways. It's just the way our culture is. Right brain people don't have this issue. Right brain people are generally very uh, much authentic all the time. They just are who they are. And for that reason, they get uh, labeled as, uh, you know, uh, space cadets and airheads and uh, that sort of thing because they're very much in touch with their inner self but they're not really all that good at acting and playing the role correctly out in the out in the larger world so they're seen as as being a little out of it um, that's because they're interacting at a different level but when you know people who are very right brain and you sit down and talk with them you get to you realize you're talking to a very genuine person even if they seem kind of flighty and you and you can't follow what they're doing and they can't really explain logically, you know, what they're thinking about, they're very genuine. That's because they're operating, this is typically, you know, there are right brain people who, you know, would maybe not be this way and left brain people aren't that way. I'm just talking about the big, you know, the big bunch of us in the middle. But anyway, the right brain people tend to not uh, have this issue as much as we left brainers, but we left brainers, make up the dominant part of our culture. The right-brainers are just a very few in the margins. They're not uh, nearly so plentiful as, as we left-brainers. That's why this is such a big problem. So yes, it can be a problem, but it doesn't have to be. You can use tools from the, right from the being level because that helps you focus your intent, but you're not nearly so dependent on them.
I, I'm sorry to hijack this. I, I know there are a lot of questions, but uh, one very pertinent thing came up uh, when you mentioned, um, well, being, well, acting out of, well, being the being level, uh, me, uh, I went about, I don't know, four or five months uh, without sugar, as you recommend, and I tested whether this has any effect. Uh, but uh, in my travels, uh, business-related travels, I um, often have seen that I'm drawn to uh, sweets, even though I could have lived without them. I knew it's not a problem for me. I still saw that something is drawing me there. So, And I knew that uh, it's not going to do any good. Uh, I knew that I can live without it. Uh, I was certain because I went for many months. Uh, but still, what is the uh, right way to act in that moment? I know that maybe something physical in me, some beliefs or something like that may be attracting me to that thing that I perceive as bad or not very good, not healthy, not uh, not, not beneficial. But uh, I decided to just try trying to go with that for a while, uh, hoping that uh, the negative feedback that I was expecting. I was actually believing that negative feedback will come, so that's also not a very healthy attitude. But anyway, I, I hope that uh, I will learn in this way to overcome that that thing that uh, always wanted to have those sweets uh, in the breakfast buffet. And uh, I want to ask, was this acting out of my true self, so to speak, or was it uh, giving uh, power to the intellect and ego which with some program in me wanted to satisfy some emotional need maybe with sweets I would, the answer to that is, is neither you probably have that, that draw to the sweets because you have a physical addiction to it and that's just rule set it's just the way the rule set works you know our, our, uh, our virtual bodies can get to where, you know, they have very complex processes going on, right? That's our biology. And this is all just part of the rule set, the way that things work. Well, those those complex biological processes can can get uh, in a loop to where they they want, they need. You know, it's, we call that an addiction. When, when we uh, want something just because we're addicted to it, and that's probably why you're drawn towards sweets. It's, it's like addiction to anything else, and your addiction just draws you in that direction. And you could let it go, but you decide, well, you know, this time I'll just do it and see what happens. And what happens is you get a hit of that dope, and now you feel better, and everything's okay. And then you slowly kind of fog up again, and, and uh, you know, so it's just an addiction. Like any addiction, you just have to learn to say no, you know, and, and let it go. Eventually, that that need to reach out for that sweet stuff will just disappear. And in actually in place of it, we'll get, you'll have kind of an opposite reaction. You'll see that sweet stuff and you'll kind of go, Ugh, you know, let me get away from that because you know that if you, if you take it, you'll feel bad. At least that's, that's the way I am. I know that if I take any of that stuff, you know, now I'm going to have uh, you know, a headache, sore gums, fuzzy mind, you know, all those things, and uh, I don't want to go there. So that uh, that makes sweets very unattractive to me. It'd be like, uh, you know, you might not like eating, uh, you know, 
say, uh, drinking straight vinegar. You know, you, you wouldn't do that. Somebody says, oh, have a glass of vinegar. And you'd say, hell oh, no, thanks. I really don't want to go there. Why? Because it just would taste horrible. And that's why. And that's kind of the way I, you know, react to things that are sweet. You know, it's, it's uh, a similar kind of thing. But I think it's just a physical addiction. It's just the rule set is pushing you that way because you've, you've done it. Your body's gotten addicted to it. And now you, you crave it. You want it. And that craving comes out in a, oh, it won't hurt. Just, just take one. It'll, it'll be all right. You know, one won't hurt you. You know, it's like the, the, the alcoholic who says, well, I just take one drink, you know, just, just one drink. It'll be all right. And then, of course, there's always one more and one more after that. And uh, that's the way addiction goes. Um, Tom, can I add to that? Sure. Yep. Um, well, not really adding to that, but... Uh... Would you say the same thing would apply to food, um, for example, non-vegetarian food? So, you know, after our last session at Spokane, I really had this uh, strong desire to turn vegetarian, and I did so for a few months. And uh, I'm still not eating any chicken or meat, but I've gone back to eating fish. Now, I haven't had any cravings to have meat, but I just wasn't feeling physically very good, and uh, ever since I went back to eating fish, I've been feeling healthier. So again, would you say that since I don't have any cravings, so it's not really that, um, yeah, as, as, as you were pointing out in Bali's case, that the sweet was an addiction, right? So it's not really an addiction, but um, you think if I waited for longer, uh, I would again start feeling healthier without having to resort to any kind of meat, including fish? Well. I would say that it's probably a belief. You probably have a belief somewhere in your mind that that if you don't eat any meat, then it's going to affect your health negatively. And that that belief, you know, well, okay, I can be a vegetarian, but you know, am I going to get enough protein? You know, am I going to feel strong? Am I going to have energy? I don't know, you know, vegetables, you know, you're going to get energy with carrots and celery. It doesn't seem like that that's going to work. You know, you need meat because you've listened to that, that um, propaganda probably all your life about, you know, eat meat, more protein, healthy, big muscles, strong. You know, if you don't eat meat, you'll be a weakling and so on. You get that for, out of your culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just all around everywhere because the marketers have been trying to sell that concept. So we have that, even though it's maybe not at our intellectual level, that's just part of the beliefs that's kind of soak in out of our culture. And my guess is that uh, that's your problem, is that is that belief. Now, on the other hand, everybody's different. And how your body deals with food and metabolizes it and how long it'll take it to change to do something else, you know, well, that's just you. And it may be you need to do that for a while to give your body a chance to, you know, make the transition a little, you know, again, it's a rule set stuff. You know, the rule set has us working these physical bodies and they have to abide by all these, these rules called biology and everybody's a little different there. So, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, it's all in your mind, forget about it, you know, whatever. You may, you know, it may be something that, you, that your body requires because your body's used to it. And it may take a while for you to wean yourself off of that. And it may be exactly as you see it. You know, you may not feel as good or as energetic because your body uh, isn't really processing in a way that it's getting everything it needs from the vegetarian food. Or 
it may be that you just have this belief and you're you are going to experience what you believe so it could be both could be either one but uh, you know this is a it's not like a problem that's black and white it's not like if you're not doing it right you're doing it wrong there's lots of paths paths that will take you to the right place one path may be cold turkey become a vegetarian or maybe even vegan another path may be work toward that over a year or two you know see how see how it feels you know move a little bit slower with it that's another path you'll still get there whether you get there a year later or two years later isn't really that important you got a long view you know we're, we're looking at where we're going to end up you know 30 40 50 years from now you know that's the that's what we're talking about what you're going to learn and it's not like you got to learn it fast you just need to learn it and sometimes trying to learn it fast turns out to be slower than just taking your time and dealing with it as it comes so you know, it's better not to be too black and white about if i'm not doing it right i'm doing it wrong it's just to do it the way it comes to you if you have an intent that you are going to move toward a healthier you know better place then you will eventually get to that place if that's a you know a real intent of yours if that's something at your being level that you want you'll end up there and you kind of have to go it do it in your own way on your own path and if somebody else says you know that eating that eating that fish is going to you know cause you a problem and it doesn't it seems to actually help you along well then do it you see with the idea that there's always change you're always working on yourself to do better but you don't have to take a great you know step a great giant leap forward you can just get there as you're ready you force yourself to do things you're not ready for you end up usually with issues and problems so you kind of have to go at your own pace good thank you mm -hmm. okay are we ready for the next question yeah sure yes. if you want to go ahead and ask right. Greg, so my question was about meditation and concentration uh, many traditions or schools of meditation make a distinction between meditation and concentration as separate practices while some do not i seek to both quiet my mind of chatter and to learn to enhance awareness and focus but i'm not sure if i should be working on them separately or simultaneously can you tell us your thoughts on the difference if any between meditation and concentration the technique given in the book seems to be more uh, meditation based do you agree with that and if so how would you recommend exercising concentration okay they are two they are two different things um it is not all the same thing i would say that the idea that goes with meditation is to let go of the noise but the end point of that when you've let when you have let go of all the noise you've let go of your attachment and connection to the physical reality then you're in a state i call point consciousness you're just alone in the void there's you exist just as a point of consciousness but you're thinking nothing you just exist that's all you're only aware of your existence and there are no thoughts okay without thought now that's point consciousness and that's a good 
place to go, and that's kind of the, the end point of meditation to get to that spot. But that doesn't really get you, you know, it gets you to the doorway, but it doesn't let you, you know, walk through it or do much. After you get to that point and you can hold that point for a while, now you have to be able to function. You need to be able to direct. And you do that with your intent. And somebody might say, oh, well, you're right back to thinking again. Well, the point is you're not any longer at the intellectual level. In that meditation state, you are more the authentic being you. At least here's the, here's the theory anyway, right? If when you decide to do something, if you get the point consciousness, and then you decide, all right, I want a remote view. I want to go out of body. I want to, you know, visit somebody or do something. Then, or I want to work on myself or find directions that I should go. If you jump back into the intellect with those thoughts, then you will be ineffective. You've kind of come out of your meditation state. But if you stay in that point consciousness state and operate at the being level with your mind, with your intent, See, then we focus at that level. So if the focus is at the being level, the, the, uh, the mind, your, your cognitive function working at the being level, then that's a good thing. I call that focus. And you have to focus in order to make a difference. Let's say you're trying to heal someone. If you focus on that, which means you're not thinking about anything else because you're still in that state where there's no chatter going on in your mind. There's absolutely no chatter. You're still at that point consciousness state, but now at the being level, you focus on a particular person, perhaps their illness, and then getting rid of that illness. With that focus that has nothing in it except what you're doing, there's nothing else going on inside your mind except that one thing, and you really want to do that. You have a lot of empathy for that person. You really want to help, you want to be effective, so you have a strong focus there. It's your intent is strong. That's, that's the other half of the equation. So the first half of the equation is your meditation. Get rid of all the noise and all the chatter. The second half is you have to have an intent, not from the intellectual level, not because of ego, Oh, if I healed that person, wouldn't that be neat? You know, I could brag about that and I, that, you know, I'd be a wizard and I could do all these nifty things. If that's where that, that healing intent is coming from, you see, then that's out of the intellect. That's, that's awareness and service of fear and ego and belief instead of awareness in service to, you know, you at the being level. Maybe it's a hard distinction to make, but you do need both. So you need focus if you're going to do something, if you're going to heal, if you're going to remote view, if you're going to uh, interact with other non-physical beings and ask them, um, you know, how should you proceed? You know, what are the things you need to learn? And is there any way that they could help you learn? You know, if you're going to do that, you can work on your own progress, if you like, or work on healing relationships in your life, you know. See yourself from, a, from another perspective. All those things can be done there, but they require you to have a being level intent. And if that intent is a strong focused one, then you'll actually get something done. You'll maximize your ability because there's no chatter, there's no distractions, there's no ego. It's just you focused your intent.
So two different things, two different processes, both are important. Step one is just the meditation. That's where we start. That's why I mentioned that in the book, because I'm expecting that most of the people are beginners and they want to start the process. Point consciousness is a good place to go. And it even by itself is a neat thing. You just go there and float in the void and you come back and you feel good. You feel energized. It's a very pleasant kind of thing to do. But eventually you'd say, well, that's nice, but you know, now what, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to get on and, and uh, do something a little more uh, focused. And that's where this, uh, this other part, but it has to be at the being level, not at the, not at the intellectual. So another way to say that it has to be in service, you know, to, well, let's put it this way. It cannot be in service to fear, ego, and belief. If it is, it's ineffective. You're going back out basically to the chatter place when you do that. So if it's if it's not in focus, if, if it's not in support of uh, fear and ego and belief, then it will be an effective focus. It's in support, you know, of you. Thanks, Tom. That makes Does that sense. Answer, Greg? Uh, yeah, that mostly answers it. Uh, I guess the question then I would have then is. Um, like I said, a lot of traditions have exercises for meditation and then you have exercises for concentration. The way that you're phrasing it, you use the meditation methods, like in the book, to get to this place away from ego, and then you would focus on, like you said, something like healing or remote viewing or something like that. Uh, what about, is there a possibility of just doing an exercise with focus that isn't really based on anything important? Like, you know, uh, focusing on just some mundane object just to practice and gauge your progress? Sure, you can do that. And uh, you can do that just with simple visuals, if you like. And sometimes I encourage people to meditate that way because it gives them, it kind of does both. Um, a meditation that you can use that also exercises your ability to focus, take a visual like a uh, soccer ball, you know, a ball that uh, has, you know, basically with spots on it, you know, they are uh, um, polygon spots and focus on that, have that soccer ball in air right in kind of right in front of you and then start at the spin, start at the spin very, very slowly so that you could even count the faces as they go by and then uh, speed it up a little bit, then stop it, make it spin the other way, then stop it, then make it spin in an axis that's perpendicular to that. So first was top to bottom spin, then it's right to left spin. And uh, just until you have total control, move that ball up and to the right, down and to the left, you know, make it do whatever it is you want it to do. Then split it apart into two balls. Then have one of those balls spin right to left while the other one spins top to bottom. See what I mean? This is allowing you now to, to use your, your uh, intent to modify how the ball spins, which is, like you say, a trivial you know, thing that's not significant, and then that helps you with your focus because a ball doesn't have any ego, fear, you know, belief connection. You don't have any belief about soccer balls. You don't have any, you know, there's nothing personal in a soccer ball, so you, you don't connect with your fear an ego with that. It's just your intent at the being level that's doing that. And eventually you can get very good at 
that sort of thing. And then you can make all kinds of objects come and dance in front of you, um, however it is you like. Now, the people who are non-visual kind of throw up their hands and go, oh, no, you know, I really don't see things. I feel things. Well, they can do the same sort of thing with the feeling. They can, they can deal with it without the, you know, high-res pictures. And you don't really need a high-res picture either. That is a mistake that many people make. They expect the picture to be high resolution. They want to be able to see every pore on that soccer ball skin. And that's not the point. You can do that if you like. If that's something that's not hard for you to do, then fine. Go as high resolution as comes to you. And that's another thing you can do. You can go into it, go in like a zoom into that soccer ball to where you actually see the pores in the in the skin you can actually go into those get down even to the molecular level and the atomic level just uh, you know you can go in and out that's another thing that you can do but many people get stuck in a trap of trying to make it higher resolution they don't normally see things in high res they see things that are just kind of cloudy and fuzzy and then they say well i know point going on i'm not getting a good picture I need to keep working on this picture to get the picture better. And the harder they try, of course, the worse it is because now they're they're doing from the intellect because they think they need to do this. It's an intellectual thing. It's starting to ruin their whole, you know, their whole meditation process. Then you get frustrated with it and you see this is going in the wrong direction. So don't worry about the the detail. Just get the sense of it. And if you're really non-visual, get the feel of it. And that's good enough. You can do the same sort of sort of things. But yeah, these kinds of exercise will focus, you know, will exercise your focus, your ability to to uh, to uh, have your intent follow your your will. And the visual is just a, a visual representation of your intent. That's all. That's what the soccer ball is. It's just a visual representation of your intent. You can also get a feeling representation of your intent. But if you're visual and not not a feeling person, then that doesn't make sense to you. Visual makes sense, and a physical, you know, a feeling representation of your intent is like, mm, you know, what would that be like? Because you're probably not very, uh, you're probably not very high res on your feelings. You know, your feelings are operated at a very low res uh, level. But people who work from a feeling level, they kind of have high res feelings, and uh, their their visuals are kind of low low res and, and, and fuzzy. So there are people that work on the other, you know, the other way. So yes, those are kind of exercises you can do and uh, they will make you a lot uh, uh, more practiced at focus. So anything like that, uh, you can do it with textures. Uh, it doesn't have to be just visual, you know, for people who are more kinesthetic than visual, they can do textures or you can do smells or you can do all sorts of things and just change them. You know, now I'm lying on a, on a, on a big fur, you know, a big fur rug or something. You can feel the fur or you're lying on a beach and you feel the sand, you smell the, the salt, you know, engage all your sense, senses if you like. And that will help you, uh, that will help you focus your, uh, you know, your intent in a very precise way which is really what we're talking about. And you have to do that really with still no thoughts, you know, no chatter. It's not you've let the chatter back in. 
you're still in that same point consciousness, except now you're using your intent to focus on something. 